Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for March 31st, 2019. I'm your host, Dave McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have y'all both on. Um, Sounds like uh, Tim's been touring the state of Georgia this week. Uh, I've been out and about a little bit, and then, of course, Atlanta, I mean, uh, Catherine's in the Atlanta capital all the time where most of Georgians live, so we're covering the state, well, and we I, are going to cover a little bit of Georgia legislature later in the week, uh, I mean, later in the show. Catherine? You're gonna... I just wanted to say I was not at the capital this week, but I'm in the capital in Atlanta. Yeah, the capital of the state, that's, yeah, the city. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but... Uh, about 20 minutes into the show, we're going to have Kelly Masias join us again. About the third time she's been on, uh, she's no longer with Daily Co's, um, so we may get a chance to talk about that. But um, Kelly's always a great guest, bringing a lot of knowledge and insight, and we're going to have her come on in here in a few minutes. But until then, something we had just started to allude to, because the Mueller report had been released the day of uh, last week's show, we talked a little bit about it. But now we've had time to find out more of what it might or might not have said since a lot of it's not been released. And more importantly, kind of how the American people feel about it, because the American people and Attorney General William Barr are not seeing eye to eye on how much they need to see. Um, Tim, your, uh, your thoughts on kind of what we found out since last week's show. Not a lot. I mean, all we've seen is 74 words, and they keep promising that we're going to see it in April, sometimes this and that and the other. There was a deadline in post of April the 2nd. They're not going to make that. Uh, So all we've got so far is that four-page letter by the Attorney General, and as I said, it contains a grand total of 74 words of the Mueller report. Um out of an over 300-page report. And uh, there's a lot of questions coming up, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But we don't, mo- we don't know much more uh, a week later than we knew a week ago, guys. Yes, uh, Catherine, I don't know if you saw the Saturday Night Live skit, but they summed it up pretty well. Um, you know. Oh, we must have lost, you- David. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here, Catherine. Okay. We'll go ahead. We, well, we'll go ahead and keep. I did not. I do not usually watch Saturday Night Live because it's it's too late for me. But uh, so I did uh-huh. not see it. But um, I just it's. I did see um, our president in uh, Grand Rapids making all kinds of about the report and about <coughs> the elite in this country. And was pretty shocked. I'm not usually shocked, but I was pretty shocked by his behavior, especially because he was in Grand Rapids, which is conservative, 
uh, community. Hello. Uh huh. Very. Um, Very conservative you know, community. Also, Trump country. And uh, I, I was just a little. I, I mean, I really was shocked that he took on that kind of angry edge in that community, which is, you know, very Christian and, uh, you know, socially conservative. So I thought I didn't think he read his audience very well that night. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, though, this thing is producing lots and lots of questions for, for I mean, and questions that can only be answered. If the report is made public, for instance, why was Trump never interviewed? There's a good question. Boy, I would like to know that. I cannot believe that he never was interviewed. Um, Speaking of the report, when will we see the full report? They keep moving the goalposts on this. They keep moving the date. Will we ever see it all? They keep talking about, well, anything that the grand jury is still doing, you, we certainly can't uh, talk about that. If there's anything that's uh, about national security or something like that, uh, we we can't talk that about that. Uh, witnesses that were not indicted or were not, uh, you know, so basically executive privilege. Right. And there's a lot of, it sounds like it's going to come out like, you know, a, one of those redacted documents that where we see where everything's blacked out except the date. <laughs> well, what we end up what we uh, end up with here is we're basically at the mercy of the attorney general. It is the attorney general who decides, you know, what is to be released. Uh another question I'd like to ask is the White House going to see the full report before anyone else does, and will they make changes or, or, or say you can't release this or that or the other thing? Uh, what's the deal with obstruction? Boy, you talk about a question that everybody's wanting to answer because even Bob Mueller, uh, you know, said, you know, the president, uh, I can say he's, uh, neither guilty or, or innocent of this charge. What, 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 why does he say that? What did he investigate? Um, another question, and I'm sure Mueller dealt with this. If all these, if Trump and all these guys are innocent, why did they all lie about Russia? Why right, did they all? Yeah. Well, I saw Mulvaney. Oh. Mulvaney was on one of the morning shows this morning, and. Uh, he said, of course we're not going to see the uh, report before Congress sees it. I'm like, I'm sorry, but in my heart of hearts, I believe they've already seen it. <laughs> yeah. I uh, do. Uh, uh, but, but is Congress going to talk to Mueller? There's another good question. I, I would certainly love to know. Uh, uh, I, I would like to know if they're going to get the attorney general up there and, and talk to him. Um, and well, about all the other uh, oh, ongoing investigations. Welcome back, oh, good, David. David. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with the headset dial-in that I was so fond of while I was working, but it, but there was, Tim, you brought up a great point: is what will Congress get to talk uh, or get to subpoena and, and have testimony from Robert Mueller? Because that's going to be a good way to find out information that the American people, that many of the Congress people are interested in 
and that's going to not then go through the William Barr filter. Um, honestly, if you can get uh, Robert Mueller to testify and, and, t- and you know, tell what he knows, I don't even know that I'm that interested in, in William Barr because I, I just I personally have very little faith in him. Maybe I have less than most American people, but he, he doesn't seem like he's going to be a neutral actor in this process. Um, Catherine, what do you think about Attorney General Barr and, and how he's afforded himself and really his first um, big, you know, um, showing in front of the American people? I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. I, I, I think um, he should have given us more information in that in that review, or he should have just released the whole report. Um, yeah, I don't trust him. I feel like you do. I, I think he's um, he's uh, you know one of Trump's guys, and he's gonna do. I mean, I don't know that he's gonna lie, but he's gonna be the be a be protective of as much information as he can that makes Donald Trump look bad. That I'm not saying he's lying. I think he'll just be very um, cautious about what he reveals. As long as he can be, yeah, not lying, but definitely not going out of his way to tell the truth Whoa. is one way to phrase right. it. You know, it. It's it's interesting to me that number one, uh, Bob Mueller left it up to the attorney general to interpret or to decide whether or not the president was guilty of obstruction. He didn't make a decision that left it to the attorney general, and the attorney general was all too glad to repeat what he said a year ago was basically that, uh, no, the president wasn't guilty of of obstruction because the president can't do that, he said. Uh, I think he did what he was sent over there to do. Now, of course, most Democrats are going to think that, and most Republicans apparently are going to think this is this is uh, all above board. Everything is honest engine, this and that and the other. Well, the only thing I have to say to them is, is, is two things. Number one, I still want to know why all that line went on, if everybody was innocent of everything. And number two, why are they stonewalling? Why can't we see the report decide for ourselves what was in there? Most definitely. Um, and that's what the polls say the American people want. They want to see the report, and I think, um, you know, this is going to be something that hangs over the Trump administration's head if they don't release more than four pages with 70-some-odd words of summary. I mean, they've got to give the people much, much more than they've given. Why not just give the full report? I mean, certainly to Congress, um, you know, that's yeah. what our elected leaders are, are there to do. They're, they're there to read the hundreds of pages so those of us theoretically that don't have the time to read the hundreds of pages will have to. Um, and so I, I think that goes at a minimum, and a lot of the congressional um, people are demanding it. Um, I, I would even think that a lot of the Republicans want it. They may not publicly demand it because, of course, that is the party of Trump, and they are um, fearful of him. Um, Catherine, what's your take on the public opinion? I was surprised that so many that that people want to see it. 
I thought that people would be, you know, more worried about their brackets or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say this. I think a lot of Democrats, they wanted to see, you know, the Ken Star Whitewater report and um, Republicans back in Watergate wanted to see the report. I think the American people have a general well, inclination that well, this is a no. democracy and it's their business, even if it's yeah. their guy. Now, yeah. now, you brought something up. The Republicans gleefully released the entire Ken oh, Star yeah. report. They were more than happy to, to share it with the American people because, by golly, the American people demand it, and we're listening to the American people. And right now, depending on which poll you look at, anywhere between 87 and 92 percent of the American people are uh, want to see that report in its entirety. Uh, that cuts across all political demographic lines, every group you can think of in this country. I, I bet if they poll kindergartners, they, they'd want to, you know, they'd want to <laughs> see it. Uh, but even a, a huge majority of Republicans want to say it. The thing is, though, you know, Trump is one of those guys that really doesn't care about public opinion that much on some things. If he's protecting Trump, he doesn't care what people think. He thinks, you know what, I can ride it out. I can do anything I want to do. And I still I'm asking that question, guys, that's been probably driving all of us crazy when I do ask it. But who is going to step up and stop the guy? If he says, okay, we're not going to release the report, well, who's going to say, yes, you are? Who, who's going to make them do it? How, how are they yeah, going to and- make them do it? What if Congress says, yeah, you're going to release the report, and he just ignores them? Who's going to – Who? what do they do? That that again that could definitely be a problem. I think Adam Schiff has been somebody that's spoken up to say since that's kind of his domain and his House committee, he's you know pushing on that. And of course, the Republicans are trying to make him the the whipping boy, if you will. Um, you know, he's the new enemy that they're um, playing off against because that's how Trump functions. He has to have a villain to his supposed good guy. Might claim that it's the other way around, yeah, the but nevertheless, yeah. it's yeah with the nickname, uh, juvenile nickname, and so I think there's somebody that's going to try. Now you, you pose a, a scary but you know good question: What if they just ignore and the House votes and everything else and says we demanded it's our right to have it, and they just say no, no, um, then yeah. it's going to fall down, fall back to the same place it's always going to fall back to. It's going to fall back to the voters in 2020. What's sad is the voters spoke in 2018, and they loud and clear said, and, and you know anybody would say this, they want to check on Donald Trump. They want to check on him, and if he doesn't, if this report doesn't get released and he stonewalls it, they're not getting the check they want. Um, Catherine, your thoughts on you know Tim's questions of. What if the Republicans are, are, I'm sorry, the Trump administration just don't release it? Well, I think, you know, public uh, opinion is uh, often short-lived. And if they don't release it, people will be outraged for a while, but then they'll be distracted by something else, whether it's something else that happens with the president or 
something that happens with a celebrity or in sports or whatever. So, I mean, I think they could ride it out if they wanted to. Because people will be like, oh, I don't, I didn't really want to read it anyway. Yeah, well, well let point. me talk about distraction. Uh, you could be right. The American public could be distracted by something, and that something could be of the, the Trump administration's own doing. Um, there was news this week, and maybe that was to try to move on from the Mueller report, that the Trump administration wants to make another push to appeal Ob- Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And if they do that, I think the American people may say, hey, health care is more important than this report uh, just because it is literally a life-and-death death issue for a lot of Americans. Um, that may be the distraction, but is that a solid electoral one, Tim? Well, it was certainly a solid issue last year. Healthcare yeah. among the major issues was the major issues. Bigger than than immigration, uh, I, I'd say even on a par with the American people wanting to provide a check and a balance. Uh, healthcare was something the Republicans, especially in these congressional races, just got beat over the head with mercilessly because they found out to their horror that the American people like the Affordable Care Act. And now we've got Donald Trump not only wanting to do away with the, but he wants to do away with all of it, including the parts of it that people really, really, really like. And he is absolutely saying, oh, the Republicans are going to be the party of health care. Who is he kidding? Who is he kidding? They don't even have a plan. Who is he kidding? But you know what? Uh, He's still got his people right with him, so. Yeah. Yeah. um, Well, we'll, uh, you know, let's go more about that. Let's say they get the focus off of, um, you know, the Mueller investigation. It becomes on health care. Doesn't that cause them to lose far more voters because that is something, like in a state like Kentucky. I mean, that's a state where we think of, oh, that's a very Trumpian, Trump-based state. That's a state that also has a pretty expanded health care system, particularly for a state that supported Donald Trump. Couldn't that cause him to lose votes there and other places like that, Catherine? I mean, they don't even have a plan, so – I, I I don't know what why it's even worth talking about. Well, it's they have not a plan. That big Trump plan's going to come in. It's just they're going to get rid of it because it has uh, President Obama's legacy attached to it. Um, and secondly, now this is a situation here where uh, Mitch McConnell is up for re-election. You know, I don't think he's on the top five in base target list, but could something like you know ripping away. Kentucky's health care system that they've built in their state, could that be a thing that puts him in jeopardy, Tim? You know, I really don't think so because, yeah, because if Mitch McConnell is losing on election night, that would also mean uh, probably that Trump is losing Kentucky. 
and we could just be looking at a massive blowout. Right now, the polls are just not showing that. I know that depending on what poll you see, anywhere from 53 to 57% of the American people are saying, no way are they going to vote for Donald Trump. Unfortunately, that also means that 43 to 47% of the voters are, are entertaining the possibility of voting for him, which means... Forty-six percent is in that range, and he's holding his base no matter what he does. Very true. Well, let me go ahead and um, switch gears here and welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, Miss Kelly Masius. Welcome, Kelly. Hi, everybody. Yeah, good to have you back. Welcome, well, Kelly. Kelly. Great to have you back. Thanks. It's great yeah. to be back. Yes. Well, Kelly, just kind of tell us what you've been up to in the last few weeks. So I am um, still writing. I um, am. I have transitioned from Daily Coast to write for uh, a platform called Black Her, which is about economic and political empowerment for Black women. So I'm still doing much of the same things around writing about political and social and economic issues, but particularly related to um, Black women. So I'm. I'm glad to be joining you all in this capacity, still a friend of Daily Coast and still uh, very interested in democratic politics and what they mean for black women going forward. Yes, just to be safe, everybody give them the URL so they can go and read you. Sure. So the, the URL is blackfur.us, and I'm still at, on Twitter and Instagram at K-E-L-M-A-C-I-A-S. That's Kelmacias. All right. Well, since we're asking, I thought we'd flip it around and ask that at the first. I may even give you a chance to plug it at the end, but I want to take care of that to, to take care of you so people can keep reading your wonderful writings. Um, well, let's get into the political side of things. Um, we know that you're a big fan and follower of uh, Stacey Abrams' political career. Now, I will be honest. I thought by this March, and we're at March 31st, so she's got about four hours, um, that Stacey Abrams would have announced a decision one way or the other on U.S. Senate, Georgia governor, or something else, and we don't have that decision. Um, what do you think uh, might happen uh, in her career in the next little bit? Well, I'm with you, and let me just say that my birthday was on Tuesday, which is the 26th, so I was also hoping that I would get a good birthday present from Stacey and know a little bit about <laughs> what her, her, her political aspirations were, but that's not what happened. Um, but I actually do think coming weeks we are going to know a little bit more about what she plans to do in the future. Um, and so this is a really great question because we know that there was a lot um, in the news in the past week about whether or not she would be Joe Biden's running mate. Um, she was on The View uh, earlier this week and kind of said nobody she runs was great for on place. The View. She, she was, was so great. awesome she, on The View. She, she continues oh to be great, Catherine, right? Like, there's, yeah. I don't, I don't understand was, people who are not Stacey Abrams converts because she is so brilliant all the time. Um, but she refuses she was to sort really of let. Amazing. I watch the, I watch the View every day when I get home from work. I tape it every day or whatever. And uh, I had heard about it, but I hadn't seen any of it. And I, I was just glued. She was so fantastic. She managed to talk to Meghan McCain and whatever her name is, uh, the other conservative. Really, <laughs> Abby Huntsman. And, yeah, Abby Huntsman. She's a little bit of a nobody to me. Um, 
but she was so good. I mean, I was just, I, you know, it's, and it's, it's cool that, you know, I've known her for years. I've, you know, spent time with her and it's just so amazing to see how she's, um, just the person that she's become. I mean, she's, she's always been that person, but the way she's um, been able to express herself in such a um, meaningful way, it's really quite impressive. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I guess no, no, I no you're right. No, you're right. And, and she is all of those things. And what I think is really great about her is how she, um, it seems that it's very clear that she knows her, her value politically. And so she is very thoughtful about what comes next for her, whether it's a, it's a run on the Joe Biden ticket, if it's a run individually, if it's a run for, um, for Senate in Texas, uh, in Georgia. I mean, she just kind of keeps us guessing because she knows that um, she has a lot of political capital. And I think that exciting thing about what's happening with her right now. Uh, Kelly, you gave it away. She's been out there picking out which Texas city to move to to, to, to run for U.S. Senate. <laughs> That's why Vegas belongs. You, you gave it away. No, seriously. Um, we talked about this this rumor with Joe Biden, and really it's a multi-layered thing. And the first thing that we had to discuss, and I'm going to ask you about it, then I'm going to be kind and pass this thing around at that, um, is what do you just think about the general concept of someone running for president as a ticket instead of running as themselves and then picking their running mate and going through the typical process? I think that's a great question. I don't know that I think, I know that that's not what typically happened in the United States, but I don't feel like that's totally unusual in world politics, right? So I think that there have been plenty of places where people will vote for a more experienced, more knowledgeable, or candidate they like better as vice president when there's a ticket. So I actually don't think that's particularly unusual. And I can say for sure, in the case of a Biden-Abrams ticket, I would be voting for Abrams as opposed to Biden. So I don't think yeah. it's, a, it's a weird idea to do. Um, I think we're not used to it. So, so that, that's what it is. I also think we're in the era of politics where we're not used to any of these things, right? You all talked about the Mueller report and Donald Trump. I mean, if you asked us four years ago, where would we have imagined that Donald Trump would be president? I feel like all of us would have said absolutely not. So I think at this point, anything is on the table. Um, so I think it's very possible that someone could run as a ticket as opposed to an individual, and that, that would make good sense to us where we are at this time. So, so I think anything is on the table. I think the, this is a really um, awful and weird and, you know, tense time, but I also think it, it means if we're going to look at it in the positive that anything could happen, and I think that anything could be that somebody could run as a ticket and it could very much be viable at this point. Okay, and I, I hope it, just as a citizen of the United States that we work to return to the democracy uh, that we knew a few years ago, not the one that we've learned the last two years and maybe a few more than that. Cause um, we, I want us to seek a little more normalcy for, for the sanity of our nation, but I'm going to pass it over to Catherine and then to Tim with more questions about this and probably more about the presidential race. Catherine. Well, Kelly, it's great to have you on. It's always great to have another woman on the show and we don't have as many <laughs> enough. So, um, 
I want to ask you a little bit more about this uh, Biden Abrams thing. Um, personally, I don't get it for for Stacey Abrams. Like it seems to me that um, it 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 just doesn't seem like a good idea. I'm not a huge fan of Joe Biden anyway, but but aside from that, um, I just feel like I mean she said it on the View. You know, I'm not running for second place, and I, I just sort of feel like. She has so many opportunities that um, this is not a sure thing, obviously. Well, none of these things are sure things. But I just wonder what, what your thoughts are about the uh, – uh, not about the idea of the of a combined ticket, but just about the idea with Stacey Abrams and Joe Biden. Yeah, Catherine, I think it's such a great question. Um, I, I think I'm with you. I um... – I don't feel a lot of warm and fuzzies about uh, Biden um, in this round, Um, not because I don't think that he's got a lot of great political chops, but I think where we are as a country needs something different. Um, I think she brings to something different. So that excites me very much. But I also loved that on The View, she was very clear about sort of no one runs for second political place, right? And so the idea that – she might run for second place because it's a runner-up position. She's got lots of support and enthusiasm on her own. And I don't know that she needs a man. I don't know that she needs a white man. I don't know that she needs the older white man who has all this baggage <laughs> with him <laughs> um, to, to, to make that happen for her. So I think she's right in being more thoughtful about what comes next for her. Um, and so that's kind of where I lean. And, and I've seen lots of things on social media around, you know, is Stacey going to let herself be used? She should do this. She shouldn't do this. And and one thing I can say, um, having met her, um, having, you know, worked with her campaign team for the better part of a year, is that I absolutely unequivocally trust her to make the best decision for her. And so I think if she decides to get into the race, it will be thoughtful and purposeful. I I absolutely agree. Uh, And when I see people blathering on about it on social media i'm like the woman is very accomplished brilliant i think she doesn't i don't think she needs you talking on facebook about what the best thing for her to do is and just like right. we don't need to be talking about it here i'm just talking about just just from my perspective it just doesn't seem like i mean she it, i think that if when we elect a democratic president in 2020 she'll there'll be plenty of opportunities for her uh to do things with that administration that don't um, tie her to an elected office. If, you know, like she could be a, some, she could be in the cabinet, she could be an ambassador, she could be all, all kinds of things that would then prep her for whatever her next move might be. So I just feel like, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm losing my patience with Joe Biden right now. So anyway, that's a <laughs> whole, that's you. a whole I, other I, conversation I, that we probably won't have. On Catherine, well, I'm going to if it comes. Oh, go ahead. I will will say I like Uncle Joe as a fun uncle that I can hang out with at a wedding reception. I'm not convinced that I want him to be my president. That's exactly how I feel. Exactly. (laughs) And I think he can be very, have a very meaningful role in our country as a um, former vice president. Um, I think people uh, like him and, he has a long, you know, a long legacy of uh, a long history of, of experience. Some of it not so good, some of it great. Strong relationship with 
uh, President Obama, which I think helps him. But I, I agree. I, I'd like him to um, be an elder statesman rather than be a president. But exactly. now I'm going to pass it to Tim for his questions. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. Sure. Oh, good evening, Doctor. How are you tonight? I'm good, Tim. How are you? Well, I'm doing very well. So is it fair to say that Bernie Sanders will not be as potent a force in this race as he was in 2016? Wow, it's a good question. I, You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that um, uh, Bernie has a message that appeals to a lot of people. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a, a lot of his progressive ideas appeal to people across age, across race, um, across uh, socioeconomic status. So I think that he has a message that appeals to people. I think where Bernie uh, lacks is that Bernie still um, – uh, still fails to um, really do the hard work of intersecting around issues of race and gender um, and other kinds of things. So Bernie has done a great job actually this time around about um, intentionally, you know, he had some controversy about women um, and how women were treated and paid in his, his uh, 2016 election uh, or his 2016 campaign, he's done a really good job of trying to fix that. Um, he's done a really good job of trying to talk about race in a different way. I still think, though, that Bernie um, is who he is and still has the limitation that he has. And so I'm not sure I see anything different this time around um, than I than I did uh, three years ago. So mm-hmm. I think that he he says the right things, and I'm not sure that I think he does all the right things. But I think he mm-hmm. says things that are appealing to people for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we, we've talked a bit tonight about the possible candidacy of a Stacey Abrams. While mm-hmm. at the same time we have quite a few new young faces running for the nomination, in the Democratic Party right now that are announced. Uh, mm-hmm. Of that group, has anyone in that group really stood out to you as a person that could possibly emerge from the pack and challenge for the nomination? <laughs> You're asking me the question my husband asks me like every day. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, really, this is like the – who are you voting for? What do you think? I don't know. I, you know, the great thing is I live in D.C. and we don't vote until after California and in June. So by the uh-huh. time I vote, everybody else will vote it. But um, I don't know. I think they, they bring different things to me and, and each thing I like. Um, I really like how um, Cory Booker is talking about criminal justice reform. I like how Kamala is talking about criminal justice reform, particularly because she's a former prosecutor. Um, Mm -hmm. I like a lot about Julian Castro, and I think that we won't hear as much from him um, because of uh, popularity and how um, democratic politics work and who will be on stage. Um, I've interviewed Elizabeth Warren uh, at Netroots Nation last year, and I pretty much love everything she has to say. So right now, I think my perspective is that I'm just open to what everybody has to say and wanting to hear um, and learn from them. 
And, you know, uh, with the caveat that if Stacey Abrams runs, I'm all in for everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we know who your candidate is. You're just waiting on <laughs> right. her to announce. <laughs> exactly. Okay, now, I'm going to throw you a little curve here. This is about an issue, but the reason I'm going to bring it up is, number one, I'm very interested in it because I believe it's getting serious. And number two, you've written about this some. So i got to ask, are we at the point in this country where we should politically move at the federal level toward mandatory vaccination? Ooh. Oh, my goodness. What a great question. I was just talking about this question earlier today. Um, mm-hmm. So I will, I will confess that I don't, I don't have kids. And I say that because I think that um, people who have children certainly have a, a different um, responsibility and a different interest in this issue than I do. Um, but having said that, I am a person who lives in the society and, and works and, and um, functions in society. So I would say this. I think that um, questioning in and of itself vaccinations and medicine is not a negative thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can say that just in general, um, I've been to doctors who will tell me a certain thing as a woman, as a black woman, um, as a person of a certain socioeconomic status that I don't necessarily agree with. So I can, I can appreciate questioning is the information that I'm getting from a health professional the right thing for me. I absolutely mm-hmm. uh, support that and agree with that. And at the same time, I also think that there's real issues around uh, what's true and what's not. So I do believe that um, absolutely uh, there are um, – there are vaccinations, there are different kinds of genes, things that um, science has proven to us that if we do, we won't um, uh, suffer the consequences later. And so I believe vaccination is one of those things. Um, and I had a conversation mm-hmm. last week with a friend around the flu shot, right, that um, every time I get the flu shot, I get sick. Well, part of it is that because they're injecting me with a virus, and so I, mm-hmm. I might get sick from it a little bit. That doesn't mean, though, that I get it for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks on end. So I do believe mm-hmm. that we need to be thoughtful about how these things happen and, and, and what we're um, accepting and what we're agreeing to. So I, mm-hmm. I think people do and should be thoughtful about that. And at the same time, we all have to live together in a society where if we get, you know, sick from a certain vaccination or don't get, if we get sick because we don't have it, that that can really um, injure us. So I, I guess I would just say overall that I hope people take a lot of thoughtfulness around um, where science is, what it can do for us, and how it can help us at the end of the day that is really meaningful. Mm-hmm. So my, my angle is, is, is this. I have five grandchildren that, that are all of school age now, the littlest one being in uh, pre-K. And and I'm concerned that some of them might get sick because someone else chose not to have their children vaccinated and expose them. And it, and it seems to me like, say, measles, for instance, is definitely on a sharp increase in, in, in practically every state in the country. Am I right to be alarmed 
and and to almost demand of my government that 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 they you know do something about this. Well, you are, and that's the interesting thing that um, a lot. Of, so what I've written about is that um, a lot of state and local governments are basically saying that you know they uh, the they only accept lack of vaccination in certain cases, and usually in certain cases are religious beliefs. Um, but most importantly, some kind of uh, medical belief, right, that, that if you mm-hmm. have something, that if you got a vaccination, it would harm you more, right? Because the reality mm-hmm. is for sure that um, we all have to live in the world where together. And so if someone is not getting vaccinated, that might be their right, but that, that would have a dire consequence for the rest of us. So I absolutely believe you and, and fully support. Look, I get that not everyone would be pro-vax, but I also feel like for sure that I don't want to suffer the consequences of you not being pro-vax and that we should do something to make sure that people are safe at the end of the day. And that's why we have all this wonderful and technology, right, is to make sure mm-hmm. that people – are exposed to the things that can keep them safe at the end of the day. Okay. Well, thank you for bearing with me on that point because, like I said, I believe it's a a rising issue in this country, and I just wanted to get your take on that. And I've left a bunch of stuff about the presidential race off, and I'm going to throw it over to David because he can go through that much better than I ever could. Go ahead, David. I don't know about that, but I, I can try to go through it. Um, Kelly, when you were talking about all these candidates, you sound I coach a lot of sports, uh, and you sound like me talking about my team. I, I like all these players, and I want all these players to do good. Um, and, but, of course, in presidential politics, finally you got to pick one, whereas if you got a, 11 or 5 or, or 6 or whatever on the quarter field, you don't have to do that. You get to have a lot more choices. So l- let's get down to this thing. Um there are uh, some senators in particular have gotten in the race and have just not caught fire the way that one might think they would. Um, Kristen Gillibrand, Cory Booker, and even Elizabeth Warren to an extent. I think she's polling a little better than the other two, but those three senators really hadn't caught fire uh, the way that one might think. I mean, maybe Bernie's holding, for instance, Elizabeth Warren down. Kind of give me your thoughts on why they hadn't, what they could do to catch fire, or, or will they? Um, just your outlook on those. Sure. So um, let me just say that I, I love the metaphor, and <laughs> I've been married for 12 years to someone who's a sports fan, so this really resonates with me. Um, but, yeah, I I think that there's a whole bunch of things that are happening with with who is uh, popular and why they're popular. I think some of it is around the fact that um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, um, that that folks um, are not necessarily that that this is a really different political time, and so. Um, all the things that we sort of think will motivate people aren't motivating them, right? That that it's a it's a very diverse, very um, uh, complicated political environment that we're in. So what we thought wouldn't motivate people in 2016 is different from 2019. Um, having said all of that, 
I'm not sure. I think that people are interested. I can tell you, I think people aren't interested in the Mueller report. And I say that because um, as Democrats, we're spending a lot of time on it. And, and for me, too, like, I've been really interested in what are, what are people saying, what are people thinking, whatever. I don't, I don't know that, that, that everybody's interested in that. I think people are really just kind of concerned about what's every day, like, up for them, what, 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 um, what is helping them to live a, a life that they can feed their families and whatever. And I don't think it's that. So I think people are are um, not necessarily where we are in terms of things that that like the Mueller report and all kinds of other things that we think people care about. Um, I think people care about um, uh, you know things like Medicare, Medicaid, what's happening there. I think people care about fair wages. I think people care about um, all the kinds of things that aren't necessarily the, the, the controversial things that we know to be true and that are true. But I think at the end of the day, people are really focused on like the one, two, threes of, or ABCs of, of what, um, what is going to make their life better. And it's not the sort of um, the, uh, uh, nebulous kind of things that we think of. I think they're more very specific around what's every day, what's what's important for people. So that that would be what I would say is really I think mindful for people. What's what's the app? What's the very concrete everyday things that are going to make life harder for people? Okay. Well, let me let me ask a redirect then. How come some candidates, and you can open it up and add, you know, Jay Inslee or John Hickenlooper or whomever, a lot of these, you know, statewide elected candidates, the traditional um, resume, if you will, candidates, a lot of them hadn't caught fire in the polls. They're still polling one, three percent, really low. Um, Why haven't they resonated yet? It's just too many candidates in the field or is it something particular for different ones? I think it's it's a combination of both. So remember back in 2007, 2008, Obama wasn't the lead out either, right? There was he was leading in certain polls, he was leading and I was leading in certain cases, but he wasn't like the standout like oh my goodness, this man is definitely going to win, right? So I think that there's that. I think that there's so many people and I think Real realistically, I think a lot of them have good ideas. I'm not suggesting, so I won't say, and I don't have one, so I'm not, I'm not being coy, but I don't have a particular person right now that I'm for, so I won't suggest who I'm for. But I would say that I think, you know, Mayor Pete has some good ideas. I think Kamala Harris has some good ideas. I think Cory Booker has some good ideas. I think Democrats and people who are paying attention are trying to figure out all of those things. So I think that real, realistically, people are still trying to figure out what are the um, what are the realistic uh, the um, the positions that people have. What are the things that they're thinking about? Where may they have some uh, similarities and some differences, and all of that. So I think it's a it's a very large pool because there's so much happening right now. Yes, well, I'm going to ask you one more question that's a little bit different. Um, Because it's such a large field, 
do you think candidates will be better running more nationally and trying to uh, get on big shows and speak to a broad audience on an inch deep level or really dig in in states that are early like Iowa, South Carolina, New Hampshire, and Nevada and, and trying to go really, really deep on those first states to get results there? I think it's a great question, and I think it's both. I think that um, I think that candidates like Stacey Abrams are probably going to do well when they think about the big picture, which is both the um, what's happening in front of me and also what's happening as a big picture. And I also think that there are plenty of candidates who have lots of um, experiences and things that they bring um, outside of that. So I think what's the greatest thing about this uh, cycle is is that we don't know anything. We have no, there's no guarantees of what will happen. And that there's so many things that sure look like they could be possibilities and interesting and a candidate who says something and we should be paying attention in this way and then something else completely changes and we don't know. So I would just say that I think the best part about this season is that we don't know, and there's so many things that we could be diving into and thinking about and questioning that make it really um, positive and beneficial and that could really have an impact in 2020. Yes. Well, Kelly, uh, hopefully when we have you on again, and we definitely want you on again, Georgia will have a U.S. Senate candidate, irregardless of it's Stacey Abrams or she chooses to go a different route. And it's uh, maybe it may even then be a myriad of candidates, and we can talk to you about that, among other things um, that are going on in the political world. Before you go, though, tell the listeners one more time where they can read you now. Sure. So I am still writing, and I'm writing uh, most recently for Black Her. So you can go on Twitter or Instagram at hashtag Black, B-L-A-C-K, Her. Um, and you can also look for me at at K-E-L-M-A-C-I-A-S on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And, yeah, I would just love to hear from you in general. Still writing, still thinking about politics, thinking a lot about how politics are impacting black women, but I would love to be in conversation with all of you. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you again. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. Yes. That's Kelly Masius of BlackHer.us, writing there now. And, of course, you can probably directly read her on Twitter as well, like she said. Uh, Well, guys, uh, let's get back into Georgia politics, kind of the core of what this show started about back in uh, 2007. And we, um, from Brian Kemp's primary campaign, he was going to blow things up and, and jackhammer things and towed out his gun and everything else. And and I will say this, he's not been as controversial on every issue um, that he could have been, but he's honestly picked one issue he's been uber controversial on, or the Republican Party's picked it for him, which, as you know, in the the Georgia system, uh, the governor, it's a very governor-dominant system where the governor uh, has floor leaders and controls the agenda or can squash things as well. And that's been the quote-unquote um, heartbeat bill, and there's a there's a House bill number as well. And, Catherine, you are far more versed on this than I am or Tim is. So kind of just give us the nuts and bolts 
and just some thoughts in our last uh, segment of the show. Okay, first of all, let's not call it a heartbeat, Bill. It's not a heart. It's a circulatory system. <laughs> so let's. Yeah, well, and, and I'm just using the AJC term that I, I know, knew it by because. been calling it. Yeah. But it implies that there's an actual heart in this pile of cells when there isn't. It's just a circulatory system that is um, functioning so that it can be, it can be uh, read by a you know, machine, but it's just a circulatory system. So I know that, um, that seems unimportant, but it isn't because this whole idea of a heartbeat makes people think that it's you know, some small person in there when it's really just a clump of cells. So, so this bill bans abortion after they can uh after uh they can read this circulatory system uh in a from this clump of cells. And usual and, and that's usually at about six weeks. Most women do not know that they're pregnant at so this um effectively bans abortion in the state of Georgia. <clears throat> There are a couple of exceptions. Um, they did make exceptions for uh, rape and incest. However, those exceptions require that a police report be filed and included in, and we don't, there's no clear understanding of how this process would work, but they would requ- it, it's required that they file a police report, which is a huge barrier for uh Poor people. I mean, we know uh, already that um, many, a high percentage of rapes do not, are not, uh, police reports are not filed, as well as incest. So that's a huge barrier. And then the other exceptions are um, the life of the mother, if it's, uh, you know, if there's a severe medical condition and a completely non-viable fetus which has very, the, the bill is very strict about those, uh, what that means. Um, it, the bill passed. There was a lot of um, objection to it, including from the Medical Association of Georgia, the OB-GYN uh, Association of Georgia, the Nurse Practitioner uh, Organization. I don't know what the name of the, that organization is, as well as a lot of um, businesses, up to 250 businesses that signed on to a, an open letter about this bill. A lot of film industry, uh, uh, something like 150 stars and the Writers Guild of America has said that they will not uh, do business in Georgia if this bill is signed into law. Okay, so that's, but it did pass on Friday. And so that's that. The next step is uh, whether or not Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp signs it, which Everyone is quite sure that he will. And so then we go to court and it's unconstitutional. It's going to cost, uh, you know, a lot of money for the state of Georgia to fight this in the courts. Um, there, there's some rumor, um, some belief that um, they are, th- this bill was meant to be on track to go to the Supreme Court to try to um, overturn Roe v. Wade. But there's a lot of uh, belief among some of the legal people that I've spoken to that there's so many complications in this law 
that um, it's not clean enough to actually be the one that goes to the Supreme Court, but it would probably be one of the other, if it goes to the Supreme Court, it would probably be one of these, the other ones that have been passed around the country. So that's sort of the, I mean, there were a lot of, there was a lot of battling about this and it only won by one vote or two votes, I guess. Yes, and you mentioned a lot of different, you know, business and movie interests. I want to get to that, but of course, at the end of the day, it's a democracy, and it's how the people of Georgia feel. Um, Tim, I'll ask you because you keep up with the polling, but then Catherine, if Tim doesn't know, feel free to jump in with this. Um, Has there been any polling since this bill's been in the legislative process um, that would show kind of how Georgians feel about it? Not Georgians in particular. The we well, most of the polling has been national stuff. No, there's some Georgia polling, and I figured Catherine might not. She might be privy to something we're not. Catherine, public policy polling did a um, did a poll of um, some not not all of Georgia, but of some of the um, House and Senate districts uh, found that I think it was. 70% 70% of the people in those districts believe that abortion should remain legal and were opposed to this bill. Those were in uh, House districts that lean, that, that were um, very close in the 2018 election, but Republicans won, I believe. Yeah, that's a nationwide poll of, of those districts, not, not, you know, down here. Mm. That's um, still a pretty big number. Oh, no, uh, these well, are... No, I'm sorry. This is no. This was in Georgia. I saw the results. Yeah, they were, and no, public I'm talking about. Have, I'm talking about Georgia House yeah. and Senate districts that were very close, but Republicans won. And it may be a one that the, was commissioned and not released to the yeah, public. And Catherine and you and your passing, you may have gotten the results, and 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 that's what we're talking about. And, and I mean that's a believable number, but a very high number. To then pass this bill, if you're looking at it electorally, and I know some people, you know, it's a very emotional issue. It's not really a, a cut, you know, cut and dry. You know, how does this play electorally issue for them? Um, well, let's talk about. You talked about the businesses. You talked about the Hollywood film industry, which everybody loves. I mean, that was one of the cornerstones of Nathan uh, Deal's legacy was, you know, this film bill and getting all these movies made in Georgia and getting all this Georgia exposure, and it, you know, creates a lot of the revenue for the state. Um, you know, I heard Alyssa Milano is, you know, saying, you know, uh, film industry ought to pull out. Um, how real is that? And if they do, what's going to be the reaction to that? Hmm. Well, um, I, I, go ahead, Tim. I don't, I, I, I don't uh, know. That's a that is a mighty good question there. Uh, I I think that they believe that the film industry will not leave Georgia. That they just have too sweet of a deal here financially going on with with tax credits and things like that. So I I think look guys, this whole Bill Four Eighty One here here here's the deal. They they want this to go to the Supreme Court. That's what they want. They want it to go to the court system because Kavanaugh's up there now, and they think they got a chance to overturn 
Roe v. Wade. Now, that's what every bit of this is about. This isn't someone has suddenly uh, got an idea in the state to do this. This is a coordinated effort in in multiple states, and it, it that that that's what's going on. And 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 in a state like Georgia, I don't I don't think they'll think any businesses are going to leave or any of that's going to happen. Businesses are going to have to show them though that they are willing to do more than talk about it. Then they'll pay some attention. Uh, I believe the former governor believed that they were doing more than talking, uh, and and that's why he. Uh, knocked down some controversial things uh, that got to his desk or stopped him in the legislature before they ever started. Uh, I, I, I just think they believe that the movie industry will never leave. Don't you, David? I, I don't know. I mean, I just, and, and I, I hear the tweet. thing. What do you think, Catherine? I saw a tweet today from the governor of uh, Michigan saying, come to Georgia, come to Michigan. We will always protect a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Film, and, I, and I do know you, you have to have obviously the studios to do it. You have to have the locations, which that's one reason Georgia is so de- desirable. You have the beaches, the mountains, a large city. Uh, I mean, you have so many settings. Um, but then, I mean, and here comes the tricky thing. Let's say the sequel to ba- Black Panther is filmed in Georgia. And, and I know it may already be in film, but I mean, it, after um, the. Uh, bill passes they go ahead and film it in georgia would people then boycott a popular movie because it was filmed in georgia in any numbers um does it get to that level that it's that tricky where it would hurt your box office because it was filmed somewhere even if the content had nothing you know overtly politically controversial either way because um, that's a lot of times I think what businesses have to worry about. If X Airlines supports X policy or seen not opposing X policy, people don't fly that airline. That hurts the bottom line. With the movie industry, it has to be taken out on the movie, which is you know one level under the production company. Mm-hmm. So it gets kind of tricky. Unless they just feel so strongly and they say we're just not filming here, tax, cre- tax credits be you know forgotten. Well, you also have to so, think about stars, that stars and production people and, you know, uh, any kind of um, employees that would be unwilling. You know, if they're living in California and they have to come to Georgia to help work on a film, they might just say, nah, I don't want to. Or stars that are unwilling to work here. I mean, I don't know that that's the case. But that sure, certainly would have an impact on the studios and their decisions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just it, – it'd be interesting to see. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see what Brian Kemp thinks of this. I mean, is it just a complete ru- rubber stamp, or is he going to be more thoughtful like Nathan Dill was? I mean, obviously, by his campaign, uh, there's no indication he would be. Uh, but maybe once he gets behind that desk, he, um, for back, lack of a better term, grows up some uh, or gets more logical. I don't know. Um, so it'll be something that we'll follow um, in the coming weeks as the legislative session winds down and, and, and his date to sign bills uh, passes. Well, 
thanks again to Kelly Masius for being on the show. Till next week, that's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.